try live uh, talk. And um, I want to follow on from last week when uh, Mel was talking about uh, the spiritual struggle, that our struggle isn't against uh, flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers and the rulers of, of, of this dark age. And, and Mel last week uh, warned us of the, the three C's, complacency, comparison, and condemnation. 1 Timothy 6.12 says, struggle the good struggle of faith or fight the good fight of faith. And I don't know about you, but some days you really notice that they're more of a struggle than other days. You might feel inexplicably tired or, or, or have headaches that you can't really explain or you're irritable, perish the thought, uh, with people. And sometimes we just need to see a little bit deeper uh, beneath the surface as to, to what's going on. I've been reading a lot, actually, the last hundred days through the lockdown, through the Psalms. And the Psalms speak a lot about good and evil, about the righteous and the wicked, about those who love God and, and the enemies of God. And David, who, you know, wrote uh, a fair number of the Psalms, um, he was the good, the righteous, the just king. Um, I think people perhaps overemphasize his failings are when he fell, but he is held up as the, the king of justice, the righteous king, the model king, the king of, of which all the other kings uh, should have followed in his footsteps. And in his writing of the Psalms, he, he lifts up the name of God. He extols who God is, but he also seems very aware of his enemies. For example, in Psalm 140, verse 1, he says, Rescue me, O Lord, from evil men protect me from men of violence who devise evil plans in their hearts and stir up war every day you might think when you read the psalms that david's got a bit of a, a sort of enemy or persecution complex but i don't think he did i, I think he was aware that uh, people were uh, out to trip him up because he was the the good the righteous the uh, the just king but while aware of his enemy, he reminded himself and kept his focus on the goodness of God. In Psalm 36, he, he wrote these words. Even on his bed, he plots evil. He commits himself to a sinful course. He does not reject what it's wrong. Speaking of uh, the wicked, his enemy. But then he just says in the same breath, your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies your righteousness is like the mighty mountains and so forth we can see in the word of god this tension that's always there between the kingdom of god and and, and righteousness and uh, this tension of uh, an enemy that's that's if you like pursuing david says my enemy pursues me and i want to look particularly at at the psalms tonight just to to see how we can handle and, and manage this tension in in the world where God we know is mighty and victorious and, and and the living God but we're living in a broken world we're living amongst broken people and we ourselves uh, are often broken and there's an enemy who prowls around so that's the background I, I want to talk about Psalm 37 I, I, I hope you had a chance to read it and I want you to see the tension 
uh, the conflict, if you like, between righteousness and wickedness. And, and the keys in this psalm as to the truth and, and the power that, that brings. So I'm going to try and share my screen and, and read from Psalm 37, uh, verses 1 to 12. So I seem to have lost altogether. So I won't try and show my screen. <laughs> I thought that would work, but it didn't seem to have worked. So I'll read it to you. Psalm 37, 1 to 12 says these words. And if you've got your Bibles, I would really recommend turning to them. It says, do not fret because of those who are evil. Or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither like green plants. They will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret, it leads only to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for him, they will not be found, but the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. The wicked plot against the righteous and gnash their teeth at them. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he knows their day is coming. You'll notice um, the psalm declares the future of those who trust in God and are very different from those who don't. Verse 9 says, for those who are evil will be destroyed. But those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. And in verse 13, it says, the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he knows their day is coming. What we read in this psalm is that there is a future. And in that future, there is a judgment, a distinction will be made between the righteous and the non-righteous. And there will be a setting of things right. There will be an inheritance, a reward for the righteous here on earth. Five times in this psalm, David says, that the righteous will inherit the land. That is their inheritance is here on the earth. In verse 11, he says, the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. Can you recall Jesus echoed this in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 5, when he said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So when Jesus came as a man that those 2,000 years ago, the Jewish mentality was based on scriptures like Psalm 37. And they believed that there would be this separation between the righteous and the wicked from evil. And evil would be bound. And that would happen when the Messiah came and that would be the end of that age. And that would bring a new age, a new order, an age of right living, a 
an age of righteousness when everything would be clear. But Jesus, whilst saying that day will come when the wicked will be removed, he said that that day hadn't yet come. And until it did come, there would be this different form of God's kingdom, not the way that they're expecting of Messiah coming and uh, destroying the wicked and removing wickedness and evil from the earth. But that his kingdom would come side by side. The kingdom of light alongside the kingdom of darkness, the wheat alongside the weeds or the tares. Light along with darkness, a kingdom of light in seed form. Like yeast, he said, hidden in a loaf of bread. It, it's there, it's hidden. The day will come when it will be revealed and fill everything, but that day hadn't come yet. He said it would be like a mustard seed, hidden, not seen. But the day would come when it would be fully grown and, and, and visible and take its rightful place. And that day would come at the end of the age when, when he returns, and, and then there would be this clear separation. But the day that we're living in today is this side-by-side -side kingdom day. The king has come. That's so important to realize. The king has come, but he has not removed wickedness and the schemes of wickedness. Indeed, he didn't come to remove the wickedness. He said, I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. I haven't come to judge the world. In other words, I haven't come to condemn to put things right, but, but I've come that they might have life and, and, and have it more abundantly. I've, I've come because God so loved the world that, that he's given his only son, that those that believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. I've come as a rescue mission. He said, I haven't come to destroy the wicked. I haven't even come to remove the wickedness, but I've come to bear the wickedness of sin for many, that the wicked, like me, and like you might be free to open wide the door for many to come in. He came with an appeal and he's patient, not willing to any to perish, which is why we're in this waiting period that God isn't willing for any to perish, but all to come to repentance, as it says in 2 Peter 3, 9. But there's good news in this psalm. There's an appeal, an invitation Psalm 37, 27 says, turn from evil and do good, then you will dwell in the land forever. And that's the heart of God. It's for people to turn. And Jesus did say he would come again. And, and that day is as certain as his first coming. The Bible says, as surely as the dawn, he will come. That's Hosea 6, verse 3. And then the evil will be bound. Hebrews 9, 28. Let me just read it to you. It says these amazing words. Uh, it says that, uh, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those waiting for him. So he will come and he will bring that righteousness. He will bring that separation. He will bring that complete liberty. But we're in this parallel kingdom time where we're struggling, as it were, fighting the good fight of faith, knowing that that day will come. Having that victory, the life of that day in us now by the Holy Spirit, the power of the age to come, 
and yet we have to put on uh, the full armor of God to stand. And this psalm talks about a distinction between those who do evil and those who do good, the righteous and the wicked. And today, sometimes that distinction doesn't seem clear. We see in our own hearts, don't we, a sort of real wickedness sometimes. And we see in other people who maybe don't believe, we see some real good, some real bravery and honesty. And we marvel at the grace of God. But this psalm, I think, pictures two cultures, if you like, two kingdoms, two ways of thinking. And that's what's at the heart of the struggle that's both within us and outside of us. And we either align with one kingdom, one way of thinking, or we align with the other. We're caught in a conflict. There's no kind of neutral territory. It's like there's two tides pulling in in two different directions. it's, It's like there's two philosophies at odds with each other, two kingdoms, as it were, with, with different kings. And things aren't always clear cut. But when the spotlight of God comes upon it, we see these two cultures. One has man at the center as his own judge, his own guide, thinking he's capable of resolving his own problem, determining what's right and what's wrong, living for and unto himself, exalting himself creating his own laws of right and wrong. But the other has God at the center. One declares the sufficiency of man to triumph on his own, and the other declares that this is foolish. God, the creator, is the only one that is just, the only one that is right, and he must be at the center. So in Psalm 37, we see both righteousness and wickedness side by side which the psalm goes on to explain. It says, this is what the righteous culture looks like, and this is what the wicked culture looks like. And then it says, don't fret. Don't get hot under the collar. That's what it means to fret when you see the the wicked succeed. When you see people succeed in their plans, don't let it trouble you. Don't let it bother you. When people go around as, as though they're the master of their own destiny, don't let that bother you. Don't let it cause you stress and striving. And then the psalm tells us what righteous thinking is. It it talks about the mouth of the righteous utter wisdom. The law of God is in their heart. They speak what is just. They refrain from anger. They give generously. They lend freely. They hope in the Lord. And then it talks about what evil thinking is like. It says it's centered on self. It carries out wicked schemes. It plots against the righteous it's angry with them it lies in wait to uh, to bring them down the wickedness borrows and doesn't repay it exploits it's ruthless and that's the tension we see in, in between the kingdoms between spiritual good life and the light and, and the kingdom of darkness and I want you to notice right at the beginning of this psalm, the psalmist gives us such a key. King David says these amazing words, and they're like powerful weapons, and they're full of promise. It's like, take this on board, because this is the culture of heaven. This is the culture of the kingdom. These four uh, ways, they overcome the world's culture. They in a sense, destroy 
things coming against you. Four attitudes come with promises, four ways to withstand the evil one. And you know them, you know them well. Verse three says these incredible words, trust in the Lord and do good. That word trust means to rely on, depend on, put bank everything upon, put your confidence in. And then the promise comes with him. You'll feed on his faithfulness. He is so faithful. That's what dwell in the land means. It means stay where God has positioned you. Enjoy safe pasture because he is the shepherd of the sheep. He's the one that protects you. He's the one that guides you. He's the one that keeps you. That's a place of, uh, that's a place of peace. It's a place of safety. Put your trust in the Lord rely upon him put your confidence in him do the right thing and god promises that you'll feed you'll live on his faithfulness you'll enjoy safe pasture because you're the sheep of his pasture so that's contrary to the world's culture trust in the lord and the second one is even more contrary to the world's culture it says delight yourself in the lord what does it mean to delight ourselves in God? It, it, it means to enjoy him. It means to derive your satisfaction from him. It means to take pleasure in him. It means to admire him, delight in him. Delight yourself in the Lord. Thanksgiving is a way of delighting ourselves in God, isn't it? Seeing every good and perfect gift coming down from God, the Father of lights, and giving thanks for it. That's delighting yourself in God. Admiring the work of his hands, that's delighting yourself in God. Lifting your soul in, in thanksgiving and praise, that's delighting yourself in the Lord. Letting your spirit yield to him in worship, that's delighting yourself in God. And all through the day, every good thing, everything that gives us Pleasure can be an instance of delighting ourselves in God, thanking God for every gift, counting your blessings, name them one by one. See what God has done. That's delighting yourself in the Lord. Looking back on each day, just seeing his hand where it's been, that's delighting yourself in God. It is the will of God that we give thanks. Embracing him as the one that is closest to you, the nearest one, the saviour. That's delighting yourself in God. Obedience is delighting yourself in God. I delight, David says in the Psalms, to do your will. And that delighting yourself in God is, is, brings so much joy. It kind of insulates you from the world. And he will give you the desires of your heart, which literally means that he will give you himself. He will give you he will write his law upon your heart. He, he will give you the very deep affections that, that you have and that you need. And, and, and he will pour out that which is his upon you. And the, th the third one, he says, is commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do it. Roll over your burden to God. Roll over your anxiety. Roll over your way to the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. 
and he will do this. And here's the next promise. Each one of these comes with a promise. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday. He will lead you and stand up for you. And finally, he says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Rest in him. Don't fight your own battles. Don't take on your own causes. But simply humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Be still, knowing him, knowing his lordship, beholding him, and you know his victory. And then you read through the psalm, and it tells you what God will do as we do these things. Trust him, delight in him, commit our way to him, and be still before him. It's then full of promises. And it's by the promises of God, isn't it, that we stand firm and the promises of God which we overcome the wicked one. When we take the shield of faith, faith comes from hearing, hearing by the word of God. The word of come, God comes when we read the scripture, when we meditate on it, when we take it into our heart. And the promise is so wonderful in these Psalms. There's, a, there's one verse here. I, I've read it. I don't know how many times I've read it. I've read this psalm for a week. I read it every day. I couldn't move away from it. I'd love to look at your face and just say, repeat this after me. It says in, in the psalm, it, it says these wonderful words. I was young and now I am old. I, I'm not old yet but I'm not young either. It says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Never. I've never seen the righteous forsaken. God never forsakes the righteous. He won't forsake you. Verse nine, the Lord will not forsake you. He then goes in verse 40, very pertinent to this time. He says, he will deliver you. Verse 19 says, you won't wither in times of disaster. Verse 19 says, in days of famine, you'll enjoy plenty. Verse 28 says, he will protect you forever. Verse 18 says, he knows your days. Verse 17 says, he will uphold you. Verse 24 says, he will uphold, he will hold your hand. Verse 37 says, he will give you a future. Verse 39 says, he will be your stronghold in times of trouble. God is good. His word strengthens us and fortifies us. It's a sword in our hand. It's powerful as we live in this age of conflict, this age of kingdoms side by side. We need the word of God as we struggle, the good struggle, as we stand in the fight of faith. There's nothing like the word of God to give us victory. It's an overcoming word. It's a truthful word. It's a word we hide in our heart. Lord, we just praise you. Let me just close in prayer. God, I thank you for the word of truth, the word of life. I thank you for the psalmist, David. Thank you that he lived in the midst of people who wanted to see his downfall. The being righteous king was not an easy role. Many people wanted 
to see him stumble. Many people wanted to see him fall. We know through his own negligence he did stumble and fall, but God, you forgave him and you lifted him back up again. But he lived in this, this tension of being God's righteous, godly king. And many around him, many were his foes around him. Many said to him, Psalm 3, which I should just quickly read to you. He says, Oh Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying to him, God will not deliver him. But you, O Lord, are a shield round about me. You bestow glory on me and you lift up my head. To the Lord I cried aloud, he answers me from his holy hill. David walked in that tension. He, he stood for God. He believed in God. He, he held forth God's purposes. And, and, and there were the enemies all around him, but he kept focusing on the goodness and the power and the love of God. And the word of God was hidden in his heart. And, and that is, folks, that is the secret. It's to hide God's word for you in your heart. God will never leave you, never forsake you. He said, I have never seen the righteous forsaken. And that's the heart of God, isn't it, for us. So Lord, I just pray, give us wisdom to stand these days. The wisdoms, Lord, to trust you. Wisdom to commit ourselves to you. Wisdom to delight ourselves in you. And Lord, wisdom to be still before you and see that you are God. Wisdom, Lord, to humble ourselves under your mighty hand, to resist the enemy, and he will flee from us. Lord, we can't pretend that we're not in a battle. We can't pretend we're not in a conflict. We can't pretend, Lord, that we can do nothing and stay safe. We cannot stay neutral. We have to take on ourselves the full armor of God. We have to stand strong. We have to believe. But Lord, you give us the victory again and again. And we praise you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen. So we thought it would be great to transition into some 